Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another edition of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. Hi, guys. Hello. Thank you for waving. I appreciate it. And thank you all for listening once again. We are going to discuss Jaguars week. We're going to try and mm. hype that up as much as we can. Mike, you got your Jaguars green on. I like it. Is that Jaguars green? It's Star Tribune. No, I guess it's Star Tribune. From, from <laughs> when I made the all-metro team. <laughs> there you go. I like it. I like it. We can talk about Dalvin Cook's workload. We can talk about the two differences in the Vikings and Jaguars organization as the 1-10 in 10 Jacksonville team comes into U.S. Bank Stadium, having just fired its general manager. And it's going to stick by its head coach and Doug Marone. Uh, we'll look at the matchup a little bit and then talk about some more Viking storylines. Um, but top of mind this week is Dalvin Cook going out there with an injured ankle. Um, he says this week, don't worry about it. I'm a running back. You wouldn't ask Derrick Henry these questions. Don't ask me these questions about workload. Mm. Uh, ben, what did you think about what Dalvin had to say regarding um, the fact that he's got 248 touches, came up limp with an ankle, but says he's going to be just fine? Well, I mean, you know, I get the Derrick Henry line, but and I, I, I think the fact that Dalvin is going about it the way he's going about it is commendable. I mean, he's he's not shying away from the workload in a time where most running backs aren't getting this kind of workload. He is practicing today, at least from what we've been told. We're not able to go to practice, but from the the pool report we've received from the team, Dalvin Cook is on the field today, which is a good sign um, after the ankle injury on on Sunday. I guess the counter to that, though, is that Derrick Henry doesn't get these questions because Derrick Henry doesn't have the injury history that Dalvin Cook does. So it is I, I think it's going to come with it until he gets through a full season and proves that none of these little things are slowing me down to the point that they become an issue because he is he has had a bigger workload. I mean, it dialed back a little bit last week just because of game flow, but there's no running back in the NFL that's had more games this season where they've been uh, asked to carry the workload large, you know, with 30 carries, 30 touches. Dalvin Cook has more of those types of games than anybody else in the league. So yeah, I, I think it's a fair thing to wonder about given his history and given the way they're using him and given the way they've talked about in the past, we need two. I mean, they, they used a third round pick on the number two guy who now basically doesn't see the field and really hasn't very much since that game he had to play in October in place of Dalvin Cook. So, yeah, I I think the sort of reticence about um, the way things go the rest of the way with him is, is warranted until he proves that it's not. Yeah, Mike, we heard Mike Zimmer say today that they're going to be smart with him. We've heard him say that before, and then Dalvin Cook will have 30 touches the next week. I mean, what's what's there to believe about how they're going to approach this? And I guess it's a Jaguars team that if you're going to do it, why not do it now? Yeah. They are 0-1, I should mention, against teams that have fired their GMs this season. So <laughs> They've played a lot of teams that have fired somebody. Yeah. Builders before or after. Yeah, Atlanta, Houston, Detroit, you know, um, we'll play them again later, and then now Jacksonville, you know, I think, I think a couple of things. One, um, you know, I think they lost some faith in Alexander Madison when he had to play more is what it seems like to me. I think this says as much about Dalvin Cook and how good he is 
as it does, you know, you go back to the Alexander Madison play against Seattle where he, you know, it's the much scrutinized play where he doesn't, maybe doesn't pick the right gap, doesn't get the the first down or the touchdown on that fourth and goal play that swings that game. Like they, they make that play, that game is over. Um, he, he had maybe another play, was it Atlanta that Dalvin missed? Was that the next game, the, the, the loss against the Falcons, I think, where Dalvin is out of that game and, and uh, Madison plays. Um, maybe there's a couple other plays where he doesn't, doesn't quite pick the right, doesn't pick the right lane or doesn't go the right place. And, you know, we, so we've seen the difference now, but you're right. If, if they are going to do anything this season, a they need to win this game. So if it's close, imagine Dalvin plays and plays a ton. If it's not close, then yes, absolutely. This is the time for them to actually, you know, get more of a 60, 40 or 70, 30 workload with these guys, get Dalvin 18 to 20 touches, get Madison 10 to 12 touches and, and call it a day. But I think we only believe it so far as as what the game dictates because they know they have to win this game, but they also know that four games after this, when there's you know, if they get to six and six and two of them are really tough, but they're going to have probably have three of those, including that Tampa Bay game looming especially large now with Tampa Bay down to seven and five, and that potentially being not just a you know a, a, a you know a chance for a win, but a chance to pick up a game and a tiebreaker on somebody. Um, yeah, this this is. It certainly sets up like you would want them to split the workload, but I think that's only going to be dictated by the game situation. If it's close and late or close all the way through, I think there's still going to be a heavy reliance on Dalvin Cook as long as he's healthy. Yeah, Alexander Madison has not played much, as as Ben said. Even when Dalvin got um, taken out of that game against the Panthers in the second half, we didn't see Alexander play all too much or take too many carries. Um, but just to illustrate kind of what's at stake or what, what we're looking at on Monday, or excuse me, Sunday, um, the Vikings are double-digit favorites. The Jaguars have lost 10 straight games. They fired general manager David Caldwell after a 27-25 loss to the Browns. They're going to start Mike Glennon at quarterback once again. Remember now, that's the same Mike Glennon. That was the Bears' answer at quarterback a few years ago. Um, hadn't started a game in the NFL since that 2017 season when he was with Chicago. And he's their answer right now over a healthy Gardner Minshew. Their defense has seven people on injured reserve, including two top 10 picks. They've allowed 415 yards per game, 29 points per game, and they have a league low 11 sacks. So you could start, I don't know, Bishop Sankey at running back. And I Mm. think you might be all right. Yeah, that's, you know, that said, Jacksonville's played close games lately. They, They were ahead of the Packers in the fourth quarter. They lost by two both the Texans and the Browns last week. They didn't play in both last week. I'm just saying the, the Browns game was last week. Um, and it's, you know, so these teams look bad on paper. The Falcons look bad on paper. The Vikings lost to them. The, the Cowboys look terrible on paper. The Vikings lost to them. The Panthers look pretty mediocre on paper. The Vikings probably should have lost to them. So I, the Jacksonville's probably the worst. Of, I'm trying to say, yeah. <laughs> I think they're the worst of the bunch and they're certainly playing for that number one overall pick. So they have incentive to lose maybe more than these other teams did, but I, I still don't think you, you put any, any games in the bank or assume they are going to be comfortable, especially with the way the Vikings have played this year. Yeah. If the Vikings have any intention of doing anything, they need to absolutely destroy the Jaguars. And if they somehow have one of those 31 to 28, you know, 23 to 20 kind of games. And it's, it's one of these close games because you could do that against the Panthers. I think the Cowboys are talented enough that on whatever, any given day that could happen. Jacksonville's just not, they're just not right now. And I I think their offense has enough talent that it could make it somewhat interesting. So I'm curious to see how that happens. Um, 
we do right now we are looking at on Sunday at US Bank Stadium there's going to be two teams that take kind of very different directions as opposed to kind of weathering certain storms and we've seen Jaguars teams they're in the AFC championship game three years ago when the Vikings were in the NFC championship game the Jaguars are right there on their side uh, just one step away from the Super Bowl and here the Jaguars fire the GM as we mentioned they're going to stick by Doug Marone as head coach um, but Ben we just saw Mark Craig, who had a one-on-one with Zimmer not too long ago, and Zimmer said it's not fair. They shouldn't fire people during the pandemic. Uh, Zimmer said he didn't have any worries about his job security after a one-in-five start. And I think that's probably um, warranted considering the fact the Wilfs seem to have been pretty patient considering they extended people in entering this season to begin with. Yeah, I, I think it's fairly safe to assume that nobody's going anywhere. I didn't think anybody was going anywhere at one-in-five. I think we talked about it at the time. And if – if things had continued along those lines, sure. But I don't think anybody thought it was going to be quite that bad. And I don't think anybody figured six and 10 even, and I don't, I think you're going to end up better than six and 10, but I still don't think six and 10 would have done it because this is a patient ownership group. It's an ownership group that has believed in the uh, vision. It has been given, I guess, by people that are running the football department. Um, They, believe in the way that the Vikings are doing things. And it, I think has, it's not lost on them that when they fired three in their first, what, eight, nine, nine years of ownership, I guess that the ability to kind of just not have the drama for a while, it certainly plays into some of this. I mean, you've heard Mark Wilf talk about kind of the body of work, and um, it, the overall kind of approach that has played into the decisions to keep these guys as much as playoff wins. And, and I, I think a lot of that is you kind of, it speaks to the stability that they've had, even if it's not getting to the point where it, they win at a level that they've talked about wanting to do. I mean, you hear them talk Super Bowl all the time. I, it's a, I think it's an open question about whether this group will get them there, but, for the meantime, um, they continue to be competitive and they don't embarrass themselves very much. So, and I think that matters quite a bit to the ownership group as it currently stands. Yeah. And Jay Gruden, who was part of the 2014 coaching hiring cycle with Mike Zimmer, I believe that's when he was hired by Washington, right? Both of them taken out of Cincinnati. Uh, when Jay Gruden was the offensive coordinator, he's already back as a coordinator with the Jaguars kind of stuck back into the bottom of that rotation while Zimmer's one of the very few coaches left from that 2014 cycle and then even beyond that I think it's just names like Tomlin, Belichick, Peyton and those guys Harbaugh um, there's really not many other coaches My, uh, Ben do you know off the top of your head where Zimmer's at in terms of longest tenured head coach uh, I think he's like sixth or seventh uh, it okay. would be I'll try not to make this take too long but Belichick, John Harbaugh um, Mike Tomlin the, basically, all of the ones in front of him have either been to a Super Bowl or won one, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Andy Reid, I think, is probably. Yeah, Andy Reid. And uh, there would be one more, maybe two more. I'm trying to think who Pete, else would Pete be Carroll. in there. Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, that may be um, it. Sean Payton. Yeah, so there's, there's not there's too many six. of them. Yep. There's, yep. there's really not too many of them. Mike, what do you think about kind of just – because the approach we've talked about it nonstop in terms of job security for the ownership and for, or for the GM, mm-hmm. I should say, and for the head coach. 
Um, and just talking about kind of the patience that they've shown and hey, they are four and one since the bye week. Yeah, I mean, it's, it kind of goes back to what we've talked about before on the on this podcast, but you know, Zimmer does have a habit. The Vikings teams have, even the good Vikings teams under Zimmer have started kind of slow. You go back to 2012, I think they were, I'm sorry, 20, 2017, they were two and two. And then they go on on a Leo 11 one after that. 2015, I think they were two and two, and then they win five or six in a row. You know, even last year, I think they were what, one, two, and one at a certain point. Not maybe that was two years ago, but they, they, they are they tend to be slow starters and then Zimmer kind of figures some things out. They get the defense going, they kind of figure out their identity. And that's kind of what happened this year. Maybe took a little bit longer and the defense has a little bit less margin for error, but yeah, he's, he's probably proved enough by now that we, you know, to know what he is to know that they know what they're getting with him, that they know that they're, you know, a Mike Zimmer coach team, even when they were, you know, even when he was the coordinator in Cincinnati, they were pretty steady nine or 10, nine or 10 win teams going to the playoffs every year, not doing much, but that was enough to kind of sustain that organization for a while. And, you know, I, he, he, he is, there, there probably is a certain comfort in, in what he, he brings to the table. I don't know if he's necessarily the, the most popular coach. There was an interesting, we were talking this a little bit about this before the show started, but the Tyler Dunn had a, a pretty long, lengthy piece kind of about the Vikings and Mike Zimmer and kind of, you know, how players see him, how the organization sees him, you know, maybe some interesting nuggets in there about his relationship with Rick Spielman. Um, but, you know, there was, there was, you know, it kind of lays it out what it is. He's not, he's not a player's best friend, but the players tend to respect him and play hard for him. And if you have a coach like that, the worst you're probably going to do is somewhere around 500 or a little bit below that. Cause there's enough, kind of give up or, you know, attrition in this league teams that have incentive to lose that if you're not incentivized to lose and you have a coach, not incentivized to lose, you're going to be at least okay. Yeah. Ben refresh my memory. Wasn't it a couple years ago? It was maybe the year after John DeFilippo left Zimmer was asked about kind of the notion that he wasn't easy to work with. Do you remember that? Yeah. He, he, how did that come up? I'm trying to remember. I think somebody just, I, I can't remember exactly. Maybe it was something John Dave Filippo said after he left. I remember it had to do right around the time that John yeah. would have left. It would have been the first year. So it would have been maybe last year because John was here in 2018. Yeah. He said, cause I remember him saying something about, I, I think I'm great to work with, or it was something like that. Like, well, every, it's like everybody, you ask everybody. Yeah. I, I'm awesome in video games. Like, well, you don't really get a, a great driver. I'm a great driver. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, nobody's going to tell you honestly that works with you now. Hey, you're not a lot of fun to work with. I, I will say this: nothing that was in that story was off base to me or people I've talked to about it, either before or since. I, I didn't read that and say, mm, I, I think this is wrong. I, and then the people I've talked to about it kind of said the same thing. He, he's not everybody's cup of tea. He, you have players that love him like Terrence Newman. Um, I think Harrison Smith would speak very strongly of him. Scott Fujita. I know in the past has, has talked about that a lot. I mean, Darren Woodson, I talked to him last year and, and Woodson was very candid about, there, you either I think the the line he used and I won't repeat it because it's a family podcast but um, 
you were either a MF for that week or you weren't. And you always knew where you stood based on <laughs> something you had done. And there were weeks that he said, I, it's like, I don't want to look at you. I don't want to talk to you. But I think especially the, it was interesting. The players that were on the record about it were largely, I mean, not completely. Cause I think he talked to BC Johnson and Inner Smith and maybe one other guy. Um, but a lot of the players that were on the record most vehemently defending Zimmer were the ones that had retired which makes sense for a few reasons, but it also would give them more freedom, I think, to equivocate if they wanted to. It was defensive players who I think probably would look at it in the end and say, you know what? He was, he could be a a tough guy to play for, but he made me better. And all three of those guys had careers that were extended into their mid thirties, which is probably not something that happens a lot of places anymore. And probably also doesn't happen if you aren't, continuing to develop so i i think i i don't know i i think that if you like hard coaching um i i think you probably appreciate mike zimmer's approach there are probably a lot of younger players that aren't used to that style of things and i think tyler's piece got into that a little bit i remember wondering about that kind of out loud when leslie fraser got fired that how were they going to kind of approach this millennial generation z um ethos of relating to people and i i feel this a little bit with, with the kids i coach that are, are gen z kids now and you know the kids that are rookies in the nfl are the age I've, I've been coaching it's a different sport but i've been coaching high school track and cross country for nine years and so you've got kids now that are in their mid-20s so i'm very much around gen z athletes a lot and and i feel that sometimes where if you're hard on them you have to figure out the right way to kind of approach that so I think it's a fair question I think it's a fair thing to ask about and it didn't surprise me I guess that there was a kind of all over the map kind of reaction to him but yeah I I think the the way I'd sum it up is he's not for everybody but right now the Vikings have decided he's for them I think also when you go through as many offensive coordinators as he's gone through and now some of that being for good reason Pat Shermer doing so well he gets a head coaching job same with Kevin Stefanski although he blocked Kevin Stefanski. He blocked other assistants. Um, cries out loyalty when he himself had been blocked as an assistant way back when and probably didn't like it. Very blocked much. Drew Petzing, too. Um, yeah, so I just I think you're going to have people with axes to grind, and I'm sure it's the case for a lot of, a lot of coaches, but especially one who's opinionated um, and as strong-willed as, as we all know Mike Zimmer to be, at least publicly, and certainly as little as we know behind the scenes and privately, so um, about him, anyway. Um, I, I just find that to be not surprising, but then it made me think of that question two years ago or a year ago. We got Adam. Thiel. Oh, we should mention Adam Thielen's yeah. coming back for this game. Um, right. He got cleared on Wednesday, exactly 10 days after he was put into isolation following a positive COVID test. Um, that 10 days is the window for either the minimum stay. If you were symptomatic, although from what Ben's reported, it sounds like he was feeling fine. Kirk Cousins said Adam was feeling great. His family was <laughs> what is it seemed like he, yeah, it seemed like he was fine. Feeling fine too. Yeah, he was jump, jumping around on Sunday. So. Oh, that's true. I totally forgot about the video. Yeah, that's right. He seemed like I mean, like he's feeling I, great. I feel Yelling confident in my faces. reporting. I'm, I'm happy to tell people to take my word for it. But in this case, I think we can <laughs> we can go to yeah. an even more direct source on that yeah. than, than I yeah. am. I forgot. I forgot about the video. That's right. Okay, so we know he's doing great. He's doing healthy, very healthy, no symptoms. He came back. So the 10 days means he just didn't test negative twice in that kind of window, was able to come back after that minimum for asymptomatic cases. 
regardless of all that, the Vikings don't have anybody on their COVID list somehow. They had six players get put on it over a month. It is now empty, and their most impactful player that was put on it is now healthy and returning to the practice field. So, Ben, while they're playing Wednesday afternoon football as we speak, the Vikings seem to, right now, knock on wood, be in the clear. Yeah, they got their emergency quarterback back today. Um, as we found out this week that Adam Thielen's the emergency quarterback if the rest of them go down and if it's not him it's Kyle Rudolph which I think would be interesting to see I I I tweeted about that and then somebody responded to me saying I'll bet Rudolph can sling it and I I said I'll bet you're right because (laughs) what I know of him he's a he's a pretty darn good athlete he kind of looks like a quarterback even yeah he's tall he's kind of lean for a tight end too yeah I think the big hands and Mm -hmm. The height, I'll bet you he can rip it. I mean, because I, I know as a golfer, he's he can hit it a long way. And he was a good basketball player in high school. I, I remember when they went to London, uh, they had to do like a promotional tour the first time they went over there. So they sent all these former Notre Dame players over there. Um, probably, I assume there's Notre Dame fans or some connection or whatever. But um, And probably have a, an Irish kind of background or British background, Anglican, whatever. Um they went and tried cricket and he from the report was like the, the standout player. So um, I think games that involve some power and the need to, and that's certainly not all it takes to quarterback, but I certainly couldn't do any worse than uh, the Broncos guy did on Sunday. So interesting thought exercise, but yeah, the fact they got everybody back, I think is uh, I mean, they're, they're in pretty good shape with it. It was interesting to hear Kirk cousins talk today about that. They have mask police and, you know, they're not messing around with it very much. And, and so far it's worked. You see the situation the Broncos got in. You, you, we, you know, we, we talk about NFL quarterbacks not being very good. Sometimes we're, we have to remember we're saying that in context because this was a reminder that even the worst NFL quarterbacks are a heck of a lot better than whatever you're, I mean, the, the jokes that you hear all the time, I could go in and play better than that with all due respect, unless you are, somebody who's played that position in the NFL, no, you probably couldn't. And I think uh, I heard Jerry Jones say the most disrespectful thing to all of quarterbacking, um, along with not paying Dak Prescott before his ankle injury (laughs) was already disrespectful. He goes out there and says that the Cowboys felt like they were in the same situation as the Broncos when they were starting Ben DiNucci, who was an actual quarterback (laughs) in the NFL, compared to the Broncos starting a wide receiver at quarterback, who I know he did like 50% completion at Wake Forest for like a year. But, like, that's not a quarterback. He's a wide receiver, yeah. as you just said. And Jerry Jones is like, we've been in the same boat. I feel you. Like, what? No, you have not. Anyway, um, all right, let's, let's go ahead and take some questions. All right, welcome back to the Access Vikings podcast. Welcome to Strip Sports Live. Michael Rand, Andrew Kramer, Ben Gessling. We're going to take a bunch of questions from you. We've got some good ones. I've got one lined up right off the bat from Drew, who wants to know. He's got two for, actually. Um, <laughs> Uh, with the rise of Eric Wilson, is there any chance of dealing Anthony Barr in the offseason for draft capital and or drafts a cap space? And also, DJ Wanham is listed as a, on Fox uh, during the Carolina game as a possible rookie defensive player of the year. I noticed that they even mentioned that. Would he be actually under consideration for that? That was that was a real thing that happened. Who, I think we I should pump the brakes on DJ Wanham. I don't. Who, I mean, yeah. rookie. Defensive rookie of November. Let's start there. Maybe I, I think probably more 
that may be more the range of what we're talking about. Yeah, I wouldn't go that far, but I guess I can't think of anybody that jumps out that I'd say, yeah, it's got to be. Well, I suppose yeah. the, the pass rusher out in Washington who went number two overall. Um, yeah, he's been on top. Yeah, Young. Case Young. He's been pretty good. So it's probably going to be somebody like that. But anyway, DJ's doing pretty well. The fact that that question was asked speaks to a little absurdity, but it also speaks to the fact that he's doing pretty decently, I think. I think he's, yeah. he's come on since the um, – he's probably been the biggest um, – Person who's benefited the most from Yannick Ngakwe getting traded? And we, um, we didn't even mention Yannick. This is the Yannick Ngakwe Bowl. This is the, yeah. I saw that you uh, the, promoted the, the Facebook the two, chat that way. Like, the two teams that have traded him. It's, it's and he's playing right now. I know we, he's playing right now. Or, this is, this or will be playing yeah. in an hour. What time yeah. that game start? Does that three, start three like forty right now? right now? I think yeah, yeah. three forty Eastern. So right now, yeah, yeah right now. So yeah. it's it's very so fitting. He's with us in spirit. And if and he if is. he makes a Pro Bowl, isn't the draft pick become a, a second and a, a what third? Second and a fourth. If they win, if he makes the Pro Bowl and they win the Super Bowl, I think it becomes a third round pick. Well, that's, that's so the Vikings would have to give the Jaguars a better pick, but then would also get a better pick back from the Rams. Right. I think right. the conditions we think, are the same. But... We think it works that way. Yeah, okay. but the Jaguars. Yeah. Anyways, um, the, the the Wilson question is probably a more interesting one because he's play. He, I still don't know if he's like, he still seems undersized to me a little bit. He's, I, I'm still not a hundred percent sure that he's like uh, an Anthony Barr replacement, but at the same time, like Barr is expensive. Like how does this, it's, it's an interesting question. Like what, if you, has he shown you enough to make you think that that's, that that's a viable path that they would pursue, I guess, that he's expendable personally i don't think so and i think the way we've heard mike zimmer talk about anthony Barr makes me think that he wouldn't be so quick to part with him um and i think anthony does so much differently than eric in terms of being a run defender a blitzer um he's just got such a different skill set eric's really good in coverage and is actually kind of more of a, a cheaper version of eric kendrick's maybe he's kind of like you know we've got that sound got that kind of same quickness agility kind of um can read things in coverage really well um, but he doesn't defend the run as well. And there, and you can see it when they play a team that's really good against the run, unless they're kind of really, um, allocating the resources, they're not doing it very well. So, um, I think without the nose tackle, without Daniel Hunter, without Anthony Barr, they're kind of seeing that. And Eric Wilson's great, but Ben, I don't know if they're going to be able to afford him considering that he's a pretty good special teamer too, as well as a linebacker. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting question because, they aren't going to be in a position where they can afford a lot of extra luxuries after this year, given where they're going to be cap wise. I think a lot of this question comes down to how you value Anthony Barr. And they have shown from the jump when they took him ninth overall to when they paid him again, to the way they talk about him, that they value him differently than probably a lot of people would. I mean, you look at the production and you wouldn't sit there and say he's worth what the Jets were going to pay him to be a 3-4 pass rusher. They don't feel that way. And they have made the, the case, too, that not related to Anthony Barr specifically, but related to the idea of getting sacks. Andre Patterson talked about that in quite a bit of detail last week about how the it's not a complete measure of what you do. So they're not if they're not measuring their defensive linemen that way, I don't think they're measuring Anthony Barr that way either. I think they look at a lot of what they allow hit what he's meant when you see a six five guy leaning over your center and you figure we gotta make sure this guy's blocked. That 
piece of things that I think is valuable to what they want to do. I don't see him going anywhere unless they are absolutely up against it. And I don't think they're going to be in this in the way that it would force that. I, I just think the history with him is long enough that when they've had opportunities to say, uh, no, we're going to go a different direction. They have not taken them. I, I right. think the, the rope with him has been very long. And I think some of that has been earned based on what he's done in their defense. Some of that is probably, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the Tyler Dunn story and, and the idea of doubling down on guys that they have kept around. They that's, that's true. They've done a lot of that. And I think he's a prime example of that. So if the question is tied up eventually in how you value him, I think there's every reason to think he'll be here. All right, Mike, what do you think? You got anything on that? Yeah. I mean, I, I like Barr. I feel like he's, he's made a bunch of pro bowls, right? Like he's, he's got some kind of peer respect around the league. He, he's, he makes splash plays. I mean, Zimmer, what was it a few years ago where he said he tends to coast a little bit? I don't know if that was a motivational ploy, but that probably wasn't. It was something I asked him. Well, it was like a two day thing because yeah. it, was, it was in 2016. I think I asked him on a Monday what he thought of Anthony Barr. And he said, I think he can get a lot better. And I said, in what areas he just goes all and that was the end of the press conference. And I think the next time we talked to him was a couple of days later, it was like a side session among the beat writers. And I asked him about it again. And, and then he said the thing about, well, Anthony's had a tendency to coast. And it's like, okay. Um, I don't know how that's going to go over. Cause Mark Craig had a long interview with Anthony at the end of the, I think 2018 season. And he was pretty candid about a lot of that stuff. And um, yeah, it, I mean, we've seen a little bit of that there over the years, but yeah, it's um even even with that in the in the mix, they continue to come back to him. All right. He, well, he was the he was the t- 2017 hero. He injured Aaron Rodgers. You know, that's not, <laughs> I you know that, again I, I joke about that, but the, you know that that changed the dynamic of that season and, and endeared him to a certain subset of fans. Um, all right, subset, gotta, Mike, or uh, a certain Tony? subset. Yeah. I don't know any a certain subset. <laughs> We got a question here from Chandler. Chandler's not happy with all the first down runs from Gary Kubiak. He wants to know uh, what are your guys' thoughts on the offensive creativity or lack thereof? We always seem to be running into a second and long. Uh, Ben, what do you think? There's the first down runs. I almost wonder about the second and long runs too, because they run on second and long more than just about anybody in the league. And yeah, I mean, that, that's been something I've started to make note of more often in the last few weeks. I, I'm trying to remember the game that I started kind of making a point to chart that during my in-game charting. I think it might have been Chicago, where it's a lot of the second and nine, second and eight, let's go run it again and see what we can do on third down. So, yeah, I mean, it, yes, it was that game because I think Cousins had a really good night on third downs, on third and and faced a lot of third and, third and long and got through a couple of them. But yeah, I, I think it's a fair point. I, I think they probably feel like they're able to get five or six yards with Dalvin more reliably than you could with a lot of running backs and perhaps more reliably at some times than you can with Kirk because Kirk for part of the year, and he's been better about this in recent weeks, but for part of the year, he was not hitting the, the shorter throws, the, the ones that you need to keep drives alive. It was, you know, 
almost like a three true three true outcomes hitter in baseball where it was home run strikeout or walk so in that sense it was bombs or it was interceptions or I don't know what the walk equivalent would be throwing it away and and not taking a sack I guess but so I, I wonder somewhat if they think it's a safer option and I mean heck you even saw it when they had to kick a field goal at the end, I think they were in a third and 20 and they had, it was right at the end of the half. They had to, they handed the ball off to get Dalvin five yards where you'd see a lot of teams, I think, throw a dump off and try to get out of bounds. They had a timeout to play with. So they went to Dalvin. So I, I think it's some of it is how they trust him. And some of it is sort of the identity of their offense, which they've made no secret about. Yeah, I think trust is a big, big question uh, when it comes to the coordinator and the quarterback, because Mike, you pointed out Kirk Cousins' numbers in November. They were pretty good over the five games. I think, yes, yeah, the weird paradox is uh, – it was kind of funny. I made some sport of this the other day, but the Vikings put together this cool, like, animation of, like, their eight eight players on the team and, like, their Pro Bowl aspirations. Uh, they, Kirk Cousins was not one of the eight uh, in the uh, in the Pro Bowl – in the Pro Bowl promotion, and I had, you noticed that too, huh? I had a little fun with that. I might have tweeted a gif of Kirk Cousins going <laughs> on top of that, but uh, they they did tweet out something today, like vote vote for Kirk Cousins, showing that he had the highest passer rating in the NFL in November. And I would, I, I I'm very close to uh, a hot take where I'm I'm almost ready to say that this might be Kirk Cousins' best season with the Vikings. Um, I know that's weird, but I think with a better defense, this, we might be saying that I, I don't I mean, we're not quite there. I think we need a few more weeks, but he, he's at least lately. And aside from like two games, he's, he's played pretty well. So the weird paradox is you, they've gotten away with that. The, the, the second down runs, the first down runs because he's been so good on third down and because he's kind of bailed them out of some maybe questionable decision-making, but then is that also is his success predicated somewhat on, you know, how, how much they do run and how teams have to honor that. It's, it's a weird kind of conundrum for me. And right now they, they play for a head coach who preaches turnover margin, ball security, not, not kind of being careless. And they are among the league leaders in turnovers right now. And so I wonder, I'm not, not saying that the Vikings aren't going to be aggressive in certain moments, go for it on fourth down here or there. But if you're waiting for more second and long throws, I don't think they're going to come with right now when you've got Kirk Cousins getting strip sacked, Dalvin Cook fumbling it up. Um, I just think we're going to see a lot more kind of conservative approach, um, at least in the middle of drives when you can kind of still manage things. And I think they would much more prefer, as Ben was talking about, in terms of trusting the quarterback, much more prefer a third and six instead of a third and 12 and just hope that Dalvin can kind of erase some of the issues you've had. They're literally using Dalvin as like an eraser and the yardage and the chains and just saying, all right, we lost three that time, Dalvin, make it up. And then we'll just kind of go back and try to get that third down. Um, Anyway, <laughs> we got any more questions? Uh, Brennan. Brennan asks about who's going to return punts on Sunday. We got more special team stuff. I was uh, I was going to ask that question. I'm glad somebody else did. Who is going to return punts? Is any who, who's got? We it? saw we saw a special teams change already. A long snapper. We saw. Um, is it still Chad Beebe returning punts? I believe Ben. That's who we saw on. Because yes, because he fumbled. Yes, right yes. It was There's definitely so Chad Beebe on Sunday that factored into the game to some degree. Mm-hmm. There's so much that happened. How did I forget that? Because he, of course, redeemed himself with the touchdown catch. Um, Usually when I catch a punt, I like to have my eyes open. Yeah, I, that was... <laughs> the, replay was well, the replay was weird. I was like... Yep. Yep, I noticed that too. You, you wrote that. I saw it. I, I noticed it when it happened. I was like, mm, it's not, probably not the preferred technique when you're trying to catch the ball. Yeah. 
I, I still think it's going to, I still think it's going to be Chad Beebe the way Mike Zimmer talked about it and just saying, Hey, it happens. He's not the first, he's not going to be the last. I mean, if Mike Zimmer is going to make a change, he usually, and, and at least if it's going to yeah. be Mike Zimmer's call, we can usually find out pretty quick just by the way he talks about it. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Austin cutting was a draft pick, right? How many yep. specialist draft picks have they cut in the last three or four years? Uh, well, Blair Walsh, Carlson. Um, Austin cutting Daniel Carlson, Jeff Locke was a draft pick pre-Zimmer that, right. that they moved on from during the Zimmer era. Right. Um, Corey Viedvik was Corey Viedvik. a mm-hmm. draft pick acquisition. Draft pick line, yeah. So uh, how many yeah. is that now? Four or five? Yeah. A Just, lot. They draft a lot of them and they haven't worked out. No, they don't. Anyway, um, uh, here's, here's, oh, do, you have, do you have something else, Ben? Uh, I was just going to offer another question up, but if you got one, go ahead. Yeah, from this was a the very optimistic Vikings fan wants to know if if we go the distance, could Daniil Hunter return? <laughs> ben, you want to handle that one from a number of standpoints? I mean, if he if they went the distance, no. No, I, I just – I don't think so because you'd have to have him in football shape. You'd have to have him uh, kind of buying into that idea of, hey, we're going to bring you back. You'd have to ha- – you'd have to make a decision on that probably at the end of the regular season in terms of trying to get him back in shape. Um, yeah, I no. I, and you'd have to go to the Super Bowl. I just – I don't see that happening – in any stretch of the imagination it's an interesting question and maybe i'll be wrong on that but i I think when you're coming back from a neck injury that you had surgery for in november i i don't see it i just can't imagine that we're going to see daniel hunter return in 2020 or 21 at all um in terms of january i should say sorry i think we're gonna careful mike zimmer did say and although it's mike zimmer he did say that he expects him back for 2021 and next year so the questions we did get, though, about um, Mike Hughes or Holton Hill, um, either of them potentially returning at all. With the IR rules, they are eligible to come off them at some point if they are healthy enough to get cleared for practice. Um, ben, they could get some reinforcements in the secondary at some point. They could. Um, Mike Hughes's injury, from what I understand, was not believed to be season-ending at the time, but it was going to be a question of do they want to try it? Because you know, are they, are they going to feel like they're going to be better off with him out there knowing that he's had a number of neck issues. Are you going to uh, try to try to bring him back rather than just shutting it down for the season and then, you know, making a decision from there. I, I think some of the questions about Mike Hughes's future have moved a little bit beyond just, Hey, is he going to be healthy enough to be up this week? I, I think some of the things they're asking themselves and they have been asking for a while, are bigger than that because you know, he, he had the one at the end of last season that took him out for the playoffs. And I think there was a lot of discussion in the off season, both in his camp and with the team of what kind of treatment needs to happen with this. You need to have surgery. Do you need to have uh, another opinion to go figure out what you're going to do? A lot of those things were being discussed in the off season with him. And I, I think, the fact that this is related to last year and the fact that it's a neck, which is not, you know, a hamstring. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty sensitive, important 
area of your body that you can't, you know, it affects the rest of your life is I guess what I'm trying to say. It's not like a hamstring or if you pull it, you're going to be fine. If you have neck issues that affect the rest of your life, it's a problem. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think they hope to get him back, but I, I think the, the decision is going to be made more on kind of the long-term plan with him than just how quick he can get back from it. Holton Hill has been an interesting one because he hasn't necessarily had the second opinion, at least from what I had heard last and haven't checked out on it for a little bit, but um, yeah, I think they're a little confused with that one as well. Yeah. I would be surprised if we see either of them play much of a meaningful role at all the rest of this season. And just as we talked about before, it's kind of a disappointing mark for the two guys who could have played so much and really kind of yeah. made a big, big impression. Um, and it also, I don't think helps the either of them that Chris Boyd has been better. I, I think we've seen progress from him. He got beat a couple of times on Sunday, but they went at him deep and they, they hit him on the one, but then on the play before that he did, I thought a really nice job of kind of squeezing Robbie Anderson to the sideline and basically leaving Teddy nowhere to throw the ball. And then I think on the next play, Anderson got him on a double move and was fairly open, but I think overall he's been better. I think Dantzler has been a little bit better as well. And, you know, the more that they gain trust in Dantzler, Gladney, Boyd, the harder it is to break back in there. So, yeah, I, I think I tend to think I tend to agree with you that it's less likely that we're going to see either of those guys play a meaningful role the rest of the way. Mike Zimmer likes Chris Boyd, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. He I mean, gives just, him a lot of run. Yeah. He's you, got you size, don't... right? He likes those big rangey yeah. cornerbacks. Yeah. I think it's got well, something to do with him. And I guess just the way he kind of responds to, to bad games and bad plays, because you don't see guys get that many chances usually when they screw up, because Boyd's not had the cleanest season. He's had a lot of – No, a Dallas game, especially on special teams, was, was a problem. Even Chris Jones has gotten a little more run. Chris Jones, I thought, had a couple nice moments watching it back on Sunday. But, yeah, that's one where after, that, after the Dallas game, the conversation must have gone okay because – Mike Zimmer made it clear they had a conversation and I think all of us know from having covered Mike Zimmer for a long time, what that conversation probably sounded like. So you can do one of two things there. You can either kind of crawl in a hole or you can take the coaching <laughs> such as it's delivered and try to move on and internalize it and grow from it. He, he must have done that to get back on the field that quickly because yeah, I, they're at a point where they wouldn't have to use him that much. Yeah, because obviously you're talking about Chris Jones almost diving out of the way of Tony Pollard on that 42-yard touchdown run in the Cowboys' yeah. uh, win over the Vikings. Uh, and then, yeah, he, he played the number four role on Sunday, and, and they're still going to have that rotation um, with Boyd and Jones and Dantzler and Gladney. If all four of those guys are available, it seems like those are their four corners moving forward. So. Yeah. I think that's about it, unless you guys want to field a Tajay Sharp question. Um, yeah, so I, I wondered about that one. I, mean, I thought I'm of what planning to flag we, that one. We actually heard Mike Zimmer say that we could have gotten Tajay more snaps or something. Didn't he say something like that today? Yeah. Does, does he have one target all year? Wasn't it the fourth down overthrow against Green or fourth down play against Green Bay? Is that still his? Yeah, one? I think he's maybe had one more since then. But yes, okay. that was the faithful play that um, Zimmer basically said afterwards he should have thrown it to Thielen instead of going to Tajay Sharp. And that's where Kirk said, "Well, there's a safety, and I don't want to throw a go ball with a safety over the top." But uh, I, I think he had maybe one on Sunday, but we have not seen much of him, no. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I With Adam Thielen back, I don't think we're going to see much more of him either. And they've got a lot of hopes still for younger guys and B.C. Johnson, Chad Beebe, 
Um, Mike Zimmer, Gary Kubiak, they really like themselves and Chad Beebe too. So yes, they do. He's not Beebs. going anywhere. He's Beebs. not going anywhere. <laughs> Shifty in the slot, baby. Yep. <laughs> All right. Good stuff. Um, thanks for joining us here on Strip Sports Live and uh, on the Access Vikings podcast. Ben and Andrew will do this again on Sunday after the Jacksonville game. We'll be back at you again next week to talk about Tampa Bay and what could be a pretty important game. Maybe you should get off the podcast.